How's it going, everybody? What is up out there in internet wrestling community land and all over the interwebs? It is me. It is me, the big old Stevie C, coming in, coming in hot, coming in with a different show today and for the next couple of weeks. I will uh, explain that later on in the program, but it is me. It is me, the big old Stevie C, Steve Castellanovo, bringing you the Heel and Face podcast, a podcast dedicated to news, information, and commentary about the world of professional wrestling. Oops, I forgot to do the point. Brought to you by Heel Turn Wrestling. Well, a uh, different show today, as I told you guys last week. This is going to be a best of show, so no, I am not coming to you live. Wait, you're not coming to me live? Oh, no, that's right. I'm coming to you via the interwebs and via, as they say, pre-taped recording so uh, this is one of the few times where I don't actually go live so bear with me if you enjoy the show and this is going to be a best of so I'll just put it out there I'm going to do two best of shows this uh, week as I told you last week and this week we're going to concentrate on pretty much the biggest news stories of the year we're going to condense them all down into one podcast, but don't fret and don't fear because even though this was a big year in the world of professional wrestling, there's a lot of stuff that went on this week. So, in fact, I am not going to have just one best of show. Oh, no, 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 because that's not good enough for the Heel and Face podcast, and it definitely isn't good enough for you, the loyal viewers, and listeners. But we're going to have two best of shows back-to-back. -back. That is right. So here's what you can look forward to. The entire rest of the calendar year of J of uh, 2021. You can tell that I'm doing the best of part one this week. Next week, December 5th, the best of part two. And December 12th, you know them, you love them, you can't live without them. The never manipulated, often anticipated, never ever duplicated, the Heel and Face Awards. Yes, that's right, the streets is talking, and they are talking about the Heel and Face Awards. The kids don't know if they want to call it the Heelies, the Faces, Whatever they call it, I'm just going to go with whatever you guys want to call it. But right now, it's known as the Heel and Face Awards. So that'll be coming up on the 12th. And then I'll be back live for one show, December 17th. And then just because the show right after that is technically the Christmas show or whatever... Uh, that'll be a two determined. So we'll see what happens. We'll see what I'm feeling like in a month or so. Uh, who knows? Uh, I may actually even go live that day too on Boxing Day. So who really knows? But uh, just to look forward to those kind of programming notes as you check all of the goodness here on the Heel and Face podcast. So there was a lot. And there's a reason why there's going to be two shows and not one. So what we're going to do is we're just going to focus on some of the other news that I feel like was pretty interesting, and there's going to be a theme, so kids, pay attention, because there's possibly going to be a theme of most of these video clips that I show. So let's just get right to it, and let's just talk 
best of 2021. So I'm not going to lie. 2021 was a little upsetting. It was a little heartbreaking on a lot of fronts. Um, at times, pro wrestling was uh, very uh, enjoyable on all fronts. And then sometimes it would just almost embarrassing to be a fan and it all ranged in between the emotional roller coaster that the beloved squared circle took us all on this year uh, was in fact very deep and very expansive and it wasn't just us by the way oh no even us fans and us uh i don't know some of us journalists in the world of professional wrestling just basically kind of dropped all of their journalistic integrity, uh, much like what's going on today in the rest of the world, in politics and news and culture and society. Pretty much journalism is a, th a thing of the past. Gone are the days where people could objectively look at an event or report on something objectively and then just tell you the facts. Well, one man who was a shining beacon of hope for professional wrestling journalism, Dave Meltzer has now become a shell of his former self, and he made news this year with his very silly, very arbitrary rating system. Let's hear what I had to say about that. Roll that clip. It really is tragic and sad when someone you felt was a pretty good, knowledgeable resource, someone that you kind of looked up to as a resource trying to take professional wrestling seriously as an actual sport and reporting on it to be reduced to a, let's put it this way, let's be honest, a self-mark, just saying what's off the top of his head in order to get the cool kids to like him. Uh, we are now 180 away from actual journalism, and I don't know if you've talked about it yet or not, and I'm sure you have, but the Wrestling Observer has come out with the... Wrestling Observer Awards, and shocking to no one, AEW dominates every category. Now, oh, speaking of botches, I botched the word controversy. I thought I spelled it correctly. I guess I did not. So let me fix that real quick. So, um, as you know, sadly enough, Dave Meltzer has gone from a guy who found a niche to try to make professional wrestling legitimate by reporting on it as it was a sport and maybe possibly skewing like a mark, like someone who took wrestling as being real uh, i think that that was good for the time that he started and he really kind of started making professional wrestling like cool to report about and read about 
to have gone so far as to pretty much sell out to the Young Bucks and to AEW is not only a loss of journalistic integrity, it's downright embarrassing, I think. And I will be giving you full disclosure, as you guys know, my hopes and dreams and the popularity in my eyes for AEW has constantly waned over the last month or so. Okay, It's no secret that I don't feel good about AEW anymore as much as I did in the beginning. If you'll remember, when it first came out, I was like, hey, I'm glad competition is here. Let's give it a try to, well, they're working out the kinks, to it's practically unwatchable. And I'm biased. I will admit my bias. I'm sure there are other podcasters out there that are definitely admitting their bias, too, or at least they should. Um, if you're doing a commentary-based podcast, then you should admit your bias. But I'm saying, even if he was biased toward his buddies, the Young Bucks, even if he was biased toward AEW, to almost categorically cast AEW as good and WWE as bad and not even offer alternatives to any of that either not even acknowledge the other major promotions in north america even is way beyond any kind of journalistic integrity that he if he had any to begin with now has sorry the mic is over there um i mean let's let's be honest the day Dave Meltzer learned that two indie nerds from California named their finishing move after him is the day his impartiality died. And I want to say that let's just get rid of the whole idea about AEW good, WWE bad. Even if we're impartial, if he was truly impartial, he would have recognized what the other federations are doing, what the other promotions are doing, and at least given some kind of recognition back and forth. For example, would it have been that hard to have admitted that Jacob Fatu is a better wrestler at this point than John Moxley? And yet he named John Moxley as wrestler of the year. Is it a blow to everyone's ego, everyone's fragile ego at AEW, just to suggest that someone not in the WWE is actually a better wrestler than anybody they have on the roster? Because I'll tell you what, right now, as intense and as much as John Moxley is a favorite and a tough as nails wrestler and deserves the success he's currently having. Let's be honest. Jacob Fatu would wipe the mat with him. And notice again, I'm not necessarily a WWE homer either, but when you talk about who is really being a dominant wrestling champion in North America right now, 
Is it Drew McIntyre? Is it Roman Reigns? Is it John Moxley? Any single one of those wrestlers that at the top of their promotion in North America, with the possible exception, honestly, of Jonathan Gresham, would get demolished by Jacob Fatu. But there's no mention of MLW. There was not one single category MLW won anything in. Well, the Opera Cup was relatively good. Should have gotten some recognition for some of those matches. Um, and again, I'm not trying to be an MLW hawk either because it's it's. Let's put it this way: with all of the pro wrestling that's available, there's no reason to be categorically one pr uh, promotion is better than the other. That's just it. It doesn't even make sense. Like. Serena Deeb and uh, Thunder Rosa's match in NWA was leaps and bounds better than their match in AEW, yet no one saw it because, lol, no one re really reported about it, and Dave Meltzer doesn't watch NWA, or at least he doesn't take it as seriously as he could or should. Unless, of course, it has something to do with Kenny Omega. Or unless, of course, it has something to do with the Young Bucks or uh, AEW's quest to merge all of the other minor independent promotions around the world together. I mean, we're going to categorically say that uh, the worst gimmick or the worst angle of the year was anything involving Bray Wyatt and you're going to say that that was worse than the wedding on AEW? That it wasn't even entertaining? If nothing else, Bray Wyatt is entertaining. But I hate to say it because I don't want to crap on Miro, but there's a reason why he's not in WWE anymore and it doesn't have anything to do with his push. And I feel sad saying that because I was a fan of Miro when he was in WWE. And I felt he was getting unfairly um, treated there too. But there's a reason why. So when you talk about awards and completely arbitrary, and he's been taking a lot of heat, by the way, not just because of these awards, but because of his regulation system, his point total star system is whack even by Roger and Ebert's status. I mean, you set the standard for a match to be a five-star match, but just because you mark out over Will Ospreay, all of a sudden you have to readjust your standard. So while the problem is knowing what I know as an educator, every time you readjust the standard, the standard either uh, gets lower or it's non-existent. So, unfortunately, Uncle Dave, his bias is showing, and it's really bad, and it's completely shot his credibility, and again, if he would have said, well, and, uh, oh, I cut myself off there, and if you want any proof of how... Uncle Dave is kind of irrelevant or, you know, uh, working kind of counterintuitively with, uh, you know, most 
objective viewings of pro wrestling shows rating pro wrestling, then uh, you can just take a look at his uh, most recent tweet or whatever after full gear when pretty much every match was above a four and a half star rating or four star rating with the exception of the Britt Baker versus Tay Conti match for the AEW women's belt, which I think he gave three and a half stars. So take it uh, with a grain of salt. Uh, Uncle Dave is losing his mojo. He's losing his credibility as a journalist. And this is kind of, you know, part of it. So there you go. Well, it wasn't just, I guess, Dave Meltzer who was losing it. It was, honestly, we all kind of collectively lost our minds when the dark side of the ring came out and the famous plane ride from hell episode came out to the chagrin and dismay of many pro wrestling fans and uh, generally speaking people in the public now again with the debate of whether or not a lot of fans already knew about it or if a lot of fans and a lot of people a lot of guys slipped it under the rug and just kind of blew it off to the good old boy mentality whatever you feel about it just know that it was a uh, stain in the I guess cloth of professional wrestling and well like I said you don't have to uh, you know, listen to me talk about it now. You can just hear what I said uh, all those days ago about the dark side of the ring. So here's me talking about the dark side of the ring. If you're just sick and tired of discussing this. If you're upset, uh, I'm going to try not to offend. I'm just going to try to make some points about this as I can um, and uh, still stay... Uh, still stay impartial uh, but uh, you know right is right and wrong is wrong and just this whole the whole thing is blowing my mind right now and the fact is that Vice TV has just released their latest episode of Dark Side of the Ring and of course it just so happens to be the plane ride from hell episode and because of the culture we live in Cancel culture, woke culture, whatever you want to call it. People are now wanting to cancel Ric Flair, which this is one of those instances I get. But it wasn't, uh, it wasn't simple fact of what Ric Flair did 20 years ago and blah, blah, blah. But the fact that Tommy Dreamer became the answer to a question that no one ever asked and decided to weigh in his terrible take. And I think he took hero worship just a little too seriously. And uh, it is not looking good for him. As a matter of fact, as of 
me preparing the show for you guys. Uh, Tommy Dreamer has been suspended indefinitely from Impact, speaking of Impact. And he has uh, been reprimanded by Ed Nordholm from Impact. Now, we all know that this story is probably 20, 25 years old by now. It does not excuse the behavior. Absolutely, I want to be 100% clear. I am not sticking up for Ric Flair if he was uh, on... Uh, serious drugs and drinking too much and trying to be one of the boys and he uh, forced a stewardess to grab him in his privates there is no excuse for that I don't care how old you are so this is why uh, the impetus for Ric Flair to be canceled is coming uh, right now now I will say that the facts are the facts. The facts are that the plane ride from hell happened. It was 20 years ago. And the woman who did the interview for Dark Side of the Ring did end up settling out of court with WWE. Those are facts. But other things that we do know is, is that sexual assault can have multiple effects that are lingering, that are forever. She even said it herself during the episode. This is going to stay with me forever. There's no amount of money, no amount of payoff, and no amount of bribery that is going to stop this woman from waking up in the middle of the night in a cold sweat because she was sexually assaulted by a 60-year-old man wearing nothing but a feather robe. Now, what Tommy Dreamer was trying to say very indelicately and absurdly, by the way, was that this was something that Ric Flair has done his entire life. And I don't know about the sexual assaults. The 70s and 80s were a way different time. The 70s and 80s, I'm sure there were no shortage of flight attendants willing to go along with whatever shenanigans Ric Flair was up to. And as a matter of fact, I'm pretty sure a man in his mid-20s who was making a ton of money and being flashy and being macho uh, probably was not uh, hurting for female companionship. I'm sure a lot of things went on and a lot of things were more open. That still doesn't excuse the behavior. And it certainly still doesn't excuse Ric Flair actually grabbing the woman and putting her hand on his penis. That is not excuse her behavior, his behavior at all whatsoever. Flair was also approached for a comment. He refused to comment because I think it said something effective. He didn't want to talk about things that happened in the past. I don't think that's a great excuse. I mean, Bill Cosby says the same thing practically, and he actually went to prison for a while. So, I'm not hero worshiping. It doesn't change the fact that Ric Flair is the greatest professional wrestler of all time. It does change the fact, however, that I think Rick's indiscretions went underreported. And it was even mentioned the reason why Rick didn't get uh, scolded as much by Vince is because as uh, I think as the former Aldo Montoya slash Just Incredible PJ, oh, what's his name, said, uh, because uh, Flair was a made man. 
which apparently didn't bother Tommy Dreamer all that much. Because if it's one thing for a uh, torrid, shameful story about an elderly old man abusing a woman on a flight, but it's another thing to double down on it the way Tommy Dreamer did. Dreamer's comments during this episode were abominable and sad and yes okay i am not a canceler i'm not a cancel culture person i am not woke <laughs> i'm unwoke um i am not someone who is going to destroy or, or go after or dox anybody for their expressions of opinion their freedom of speech freedom of speech is the number one thing we have However, there is a difference between that and what Tommy Dreamer said. And as a matter of fact, I do support the flip side of that, which is you do not escape the consequences of the things that you say. If you say something that's unpopular, you better be ready for the ramifications. And if you say something utterly stupid, I don't feel bad for you that people want to come after you and cancel you. I don't feel too bad that Tommy Dreamer got suspended. I know it's a bad practice, and really it's a meaningless gesture because TNA Impact is just worried about the look that it's going to look like. What do you mean you have this guy on staff? You know, we're in a kind of culture now where we're getting called out all the time. Businesses are getting called out all the time. But the problem is, unlike the past when businesses would just churn along and not worry about the criticism, these days, with all the woke people that are involved with business these days, that you almost have to capitulate. You almost have to concede. You almost have to because uh, your reputation will be destroyed um, for one minor incident, and that's what Impact chose to do. They chose to suspend that. They didn't fire Tommy Dreamer because I'm, I'm sure that might be a lawsuit. As far as Sirius XM satellite, I don't know if he's still on Busted Open Radio or not. I'm pretty sure Sirius XM has stricter codes than Impact does. I wouldn't be surprised if he lost his job with Busted Open Radio. But um, as far as the stupidity of what he said, I don't have... Uh, I'm not crying. I'm not leading the charge for Tommy Dreamer to get his job back. If, if that's what, uh, if if that's to put it plainly. So, sorry, Tommy. It was a dumb thing to say. Uh, you shouldn't have said it. And he doubled down on it. Basically, he said everybody gets offended by everything these days. I'm wearing a double ponytail. That means that I'm offending somebody. And he knew as soon as he closed his eyes and shut his mouth after he said it. He knew he said something stupid. That was recorded for a television show. So I don't have any simpy whatsoever for Tommy Dreamer. If he would have said it more delicately, if he would have maybe been more deferential, if he would have maybe considered her feelings, the woman who was assaulted. And by the way... Tommy Dreamer's out here talking like he doesn't have two full-grown twin daughters either. That how would he feel if his daughters were working in a situation to where a creepy 65-year-old man 
made them grab their privates. So, I mean, Tommy kind of lost this take this week, and hopefully he can recover, but I'm not... Uh, I, I'm not uh, leading the charge for him to get his job back if he doesn't. So, unfortunately, another thing that has beset the wrestling world, a little bit of sadness. Again, cannot excuse the behavior, and that was just a depressing scene all around, and I hope, if anything, this leads to change in our culture and hopefully becoming more professional, more respectful, and I am not going to um, going to back up or support or whatever uh, Ric Flair because of this. And yeah, Ric Flair is going on a little bit of a uh, PR tour now that he's free of WWE, and he's talked openly about how they have tarnished his legend and how that, you know, he is going to go all over the place now talking about uh, how free he is and appreciate life and blah, blah, blah. And yet this specter is still going to linger over him no matter how hard he tries. Hopefully we'll just remember the good things about Ric Flair as a pro wrestler. And I don't know what we're going to do about the bad, but it is what it is. Well... If you are looking for some type of positivity from a legend, I mean, call on the Macho Man, right? Like, remember all the Macho Man goodness from our youth. And he did, in fact, celebrate his birthday much recently. And you can get a cool shirt like this. How can you get a cool shirt, though, like me? And you could be all hip and with it and whatnot. Uh, the only way you can do that is by going to Heel Turn Wrestling's site on Pro Wrestling Tees. Actually, this is just a Pro Wrestling T-shirt. I can't lie. I just get so used to reading a copy and whatnot about uh, Heel Turn Wrestling that I don't necessarily talk about Pro Wrestling Tees itself. And, of course... Uh, Pro Wrestling Tees isn't necessarily a sponsor per se, but they do have a lot of cool stuff, including the botched t-shirt that I am wearing. And of course, you can take a look at all the cool merch. You can take a look at Billy Alexander Franchise Takes 5 podcast t-shirt. You can take a look at Alcoholic Adam, the interviewer, and Meme God Extraordinaire. You can do what I did, which is buy a copy of the Heel Turn Wrestling t-shirt for your own. But of course, if you want to be the envy of all of your friends, you're going to definitely buy yourself a Heel and Face Podcast t-shirt available at ProWrestlingTees.com backslash Heel Turn Wrestling. But even if you go to ProWrestlingTees.com, and you uh, subscribe and you buy stuff there, you can always get a botched t-shirt. Does this even look bad? I don't even think it looks that bad. You know? So you can get this shirt and um, pretty cheaply from Heel 
uh, from ProWrestlingTees.com. Well, uh, that was a pretty stressful segue segment right there. And we're just going to take a quick break to uh, gather my thoughts and come back with some other ideas. And all hope is not lost. The worst part that was not related to WWE is out of the way. And we're going to talk about some uh, better things, some interesting things that made this year pretty memorable in the year of professional wrestling. So don't go anywhere. You are watching and listening to the Heel and Face podcast brought to you by Heel Turn Wrestling. Be back in a few. All right, everybody. That's right. It's me. It's me, the big old Stevie C here with you on a best of part one show of the Heel and Face podcast, a podcast dedicated to the world of professional wrestling. And uh, we've just talked about some of the not so great things that happened in 2021 that was not related to WWE. But just uh, in case you're wondering, all WWE topics will be part of the best of show coming up next week. That's right. So just to finish out 2021, I'm going to have a best of part two. After that, the heel and face awards. All the kids are talking about it. Uh, you've got a live show that I'm going to come back with on the 17th. And then December 26th, who knows? Who even knows? Just because it's going to be the holidays and whatnot. So um, you may, I may want to just take a break just like everybody else. Who knows? I know the world of professional wrestling doesn't sleep. But, you know, we can do what we can anyway. And we'll see what happens. So, you can join me anywhere. I'm pretty much got every social media site going on that I possibly can. So, if you can't catch me here on Facebook at 5 o'clock every Sunday, then you can also catch me on other social media services, right? You saw my Twitter handle. I'm on Minds. I'm on Locals Rumble, whatever's going on with there. So basically, wherever you want to go for social media, I will be there with my podcast and ready to go. And of course, if you enjoy listening to the podcast, then you can definitely check me out on all social podcast streaming platforms. So whichever one you like to do, Apple Podcasts, Spotify... All of the good ones that the kids are listening to, you can definitely check out my show live there as well. So those are some programming notes that you want to be aware of coming up. Well, like I said before we broke, there are a lot of good things happening this year as well. Or that have happened this year as well. And yes... I know you guys know that I am, I don't want to say an AEW hater, just because I want AEW to be good. I want AEW to be successful, okay? I don't want AEW to, uh, you know, to, uh, to, to stink, you know, but uh, a lot of it does, mostly because terrible booking, and there are people there that aren't really, I don't know, 
let's put it this way, they shouldn't be there. For one reason or another, they are there, whether they're friends of the EVPs or guys that are hanging around or people they think they have some type of potential. Either way, there's some people that don't deserve to be there. But a couple of free agent wrestlers that did sign with AEW are a little shocking. And the fallout from these two are definitely shifting the needle toward AEW. And actually, I kind of am glad to see it. So without further ado, here is when I thought or when the news finally broke that Brian Danielson, the American Dragon, and CM Punk have officially signed with AEW. Check it out. And it seems as though multiple, multiple sources are reporting that former WWE stars Daniel Bryan and CM Punk both of their names in WWE are apparently all elite. That's right, kids. Daniel Bryan, who, let's be honest, pretty much solidified him as one of the greatest professional wrestlers in the world by being in the WWE. And CM Punk, disgruntled former professional wrestler for the WWE, left. And uh, despite CM Punk saying over and over again in interviews that it would have to be the right situation with the right booking and the right storyline, everything's got to make sense, it seems as though both of these former Ring of Honor champions both of these former indie darlings of my wrestling youth have now made it to all elite wrestling. And the backlash that they are suffering right now from everyone, from fans, from everyone, is ginormous. It's huge. Now... I will never, ever, 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 ever in a million years begrudge or besmirch or downgrade any human being who wants to make a living independently and free themselves however they want to do it. I just got into it with somebody on Facebook. That's probably why I was on a two-day, two-factor authentication ban for probably about... 12 hours because uh, I guess I was spamming or arguing with people too much. Well, whatever. Um, I don't want anybody, any person who was willing and able to work in this country to be denied being the best that they can be by any government, any institution, any place of employment, any corporation, anything like that. This is the era of gig employment, right? This is the era where people are finally starting to wake up and they don't have to be beholden to any government, any institution, any union, anything to be able to make money and be successful in this country or in this economy if they don't want to. Despite all of the impediments put against them. 
Sorry for political side rant. We'll get back to what this has to do with these two. We know that Daniel Bryan is a itinerant wrestler. He always has been. Daniel Bryan is just a different kind of guy. He's always kind of gone against the grain, which I always wondered why he would even entertain an invite to the WWE. Maybe he's playing underwater upside down 4D chess and we're all playing checkers. Maybe when things started to happen to him, it was all serendipity that he got the chance. But honestly, his two greatest runs as a professional were Ring of Honor and WWE. Now, I know he's done stuff in PWG and he's done stuff in other places. I get it. But as far as I've watched him, and I've seen his PWG stuff, he was also down there with, like, uh, Excalibur and Super Dragon and, uh, you know, guys that aren't even in the business anymore, practically, or aren't even wrestlers anymore, practically. Um, so, you know, how much was he gaining in PWG or any other place? Just making funny, silly videos with uh, Colt Cabana and... Joey Ryan or whatever. That's 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 good for the inside joke that PWG was, but it wasn't, you know, necessarily big time. Well, Ring of Honor and WWE are probably gonna be two of his greatest runs as a professional. Now, I don't want to begrudge him though, you know, because he is an individual and he can choose to work wherever he wants or whenever he wants and do whatever he wants. And he probably knew all about the legalese of the WWE contract, and he probably just didn't want to be there anymore. And God bless him, you know. Um, I feel like partially, and I have not shied away from saying that the concussion protocol and the WWE probably tried to save him from himself when he was having health issues years ago, but he seems like he's all done with that and he's moving on. Now, um, the fun part about uh, Daniel Bryan, who will probably be go back to being the American Dra Dragon, uh, Brian Danielson. But the fun part of the whole thing is that, like he said, he can go to New Japan and wrestle. He can go to Mexico. He's always wanted to go to Mexico to wrestle for some reason. Um, he can do all that under an AEW contract. So he can come in, make some appearances, do some shots, he can do whatever, he can make some money, but then he can go and uh, wander the world as a roving, traveling carny and go wherever he wants and wrestle whomever he wants, whenever he wants. Kind of getting like a John Moxley deal. So who knows, you might see... Uh, Brian Danielson becoming the IWGP US or Intercontinental Champion. You might see Daniel Bryan become the uh, IWGP Heavyweight Champion. Who knows? Who knows? Now, on the other hand, you've got a guy who has been very adamant about not needing professional wrestling to have a fulfilling life. And this is the guy who keeps saying 
he didn't want to be part of the business anymore. If he was never a wrestler anymore, his, he, he, would, he would never cry another tear about it. And he also, by the way, we're talking about CM Punk here. He's also the guy that said that he wouldn't go anywhere unless the stories made sense, unless the bringing you in made, me in made sense, unless the money was right, etc., etc. All the reasons why he wouldn't come back to professional wrestling are totally going on right now in AEW. So to sign with the company that really doesn't have any direction, really just books literally from segment to segment, for no organization, no long-term, and is just basically collecting talent, for CM Punk to now go? Very interesting. And I have some theories. I can't put them together right now, but I have a working theory that many AEW fans are not going to like. Part of my working theory is, is that Vince McMahon, in his wild old days, is running a scam on all of us, and he is forcing Tony Khan into a Dixie Carter slash Ted Turner situation by flooding the market with high-priced professional wrestlers to the point where even Shad Khan has to cut the checkbook off. So, I don't know. I'm working on that theory. I don't know how, what you th guys think of it. You can let me know in the comments section below. I just am not sure that this is something that... Uh, uh, it just blows my mind to see these two going back. So again, going to AEW, of all places. Well, um, look what the impact was of that. The impact now is that both Punk and Daniel Bryan, Bryan Danielson, actually... They had that spike in the ratings for both of them. They staggered their appearances. Uh, Brian Danielson's appearance came a little more more fighty, less talky, uh, which is appropriate for both guys. So the impact has kind of, I don't know, it's, it's, it's mixed bag, really. CM Punk being uh, found in feuds that probably lackluster and not uh, up to his par. Uh, the criticism of the people he's been involved with are not top-notch. Uh, only recently, with this past episode, did he have a confrontation with MJF. So that might be able to re-stratify CM Punk. As opposed to Daniel O'Brien, Brian Danielson, I'm going to keep saying it, sorry, who started off hot, and is still hot. He's still embroiled in a major uh, feud with the elite. So, you know, um, we will see. Time will tell. It's still a little early, even though uh, ratings did not sustain after the last couple of months. Uh, there was a lot of positive reviews from Full Gear other than Dave Meltzer. So we shall see if AEW can carry over this star power and the growing star power into 2022. 
And speaking of Dave Meltzer and rating full gear, as I told you, the lowest rated uh, uh, match that he gave was, in fact, the women's AEW championship match, which uh, I don't know. You read into it how you read into it. Dave's uh, come under criticism uh, for the last couple of years of his uh, treatment and his uh, negative uh, talking about women's wrestling. But one women's match that did cut everybody's attention this year, uh, whether rightly or wrongly, was the AEW women's uh, death match between Thunder Rosa and the current AEW Britt Baker. And a lot of people are saying that this was her ascension match. A lot of people are saying that this is a match that brought... Britt Baker and launched her into superstardom, even though she was on her way there anyway. Uh, I don't know if a death match can legitimize you as a performer, but they gave it a shot and it ended up being a heck of a match, probably match of the year candidate on the heel and face awards in the next couple of weeks. We shall see, but here's what I thought about that show, or that match, right here. We're just going to uh, get right to it and talk about uh, the best match I think that AEW has ever had in my opinion and I know I bang on AEW a lot I know I bag on them quite hard I'm not a fan anymore I gave them a benefit of the doubt and I gave them time to try to prove themselves and it turned out uh, it bit me in the behind. But I will say this. The women's match that everyone's talking about now. The final match that of the night that didn't really honestly make a whole ton of sense in context with whatever everything else is going on. But as you know, there is a burgeoning rivalry between Thunder Rosa and... Britt Baker, Dr. Britt Baker, uh, DMD. And I think that they've finally got the opportunity to elevate or at least separate some of the wheat from the chaff in the AEW women's division. Let's face it. I've seen females on the independent circuit just coming out of wrestling school, literally having better matches than half of the AEW women's locker. And by the way, Maki Ito is gone, thankfully. So really, you it's like this happened as addition by subtraction. And I'm just going to spend a lot of time. If you want to, by the way, comment below on any part of AEW that you found this week that was good. That might have been good outside of the Lights Out match, which shouldn't have been a Lights Out match. They should have called it something else. They should have... Go ahead and... I know, I know you don't want to call it one, but since AEW leans the hardest towards the uh, IWC, they might as well have just called it like a death match. I'm sure there's some censors or the AEW or TNT bigwigs probably said you can't call it a death match which is fine, you probably can't, 
but regardless, you should have called it like something, right? You should have, it lights out match, basically uh, the implication is yes, you have to knock your opponent unconscious. I don't know if the end, um, Britt Baker was unconscious. I tried watching the last two minutes again to see the, the finish again. I don't know if she just basically got pinned as opposed to lights out. Because, that, again, that's the implication, right? If it's a lights-out match, that means you knock someone's lights out and they can't respond. So call it something else. Don't call it a, a lights-out match. I'm not going to let semantics distract me from actually how good that match was. I mean, I, I, again, I haven't followed necessarily the women's division that closely to know how this came to fruition. I know this was boiling over for, for a long time between these two. Um, but it still uh, was very well done. Like, even from start to finish, uh, the hot start, they both hated each other, went after each other. Um, a lot of good, stiff work, uh, which hasn't been in the AEW women's division in a while. Uh, the, the, the punches and kicks have been either missing by a mile or looking like just complete garbage, like fake garbage. Uh, so, uh, you know, they, they, they just keep doing the high, the high spots and all that stuff. And, and it looked like they didn't get lost. They could have gotten lost because it's really easy to get lost in a gimmick match. It's hard enough going out and doing a regular match and you have to do like kind of a gimmicky death match or something like that or no DQ. The match itself, uh, it was fantastic. Um, I thought, uh, really well put together, um, you know, Britt Baker got the advantage early, and, and uh, Thunder Rosa got colored first. I would have liked to see a lot more color on Thunder Rosa, uh, and for one or two things. Again, you know me. I can only survive about two or three death matches a year. Um, but, but but when I want to see them, I want to see them done well. And, I, you know, shout out, by the way, to TNT for letting uh, this happen. Uh, this time it was no fake blood. There's no ketchup. Nobody's 70 year old dad was laying in a pool of ketchup, not selling it. Um, this was actually real stuff. Uh, somebody, thankfully, somebody in the back of AEW remembers how we used to do it back in the old days and, and showed them how to do it right, especially for, for women. Um, and, you know, I don't want to get too much into the whole like sexism thing, but we know like. Uh, you know, there's the image that you have to keep up, right, where, you know, unless you're hardcore, and there are a lot of hardcore female wrestlers out there, by the way, don't get me wrong, there's a lot of hardcore female wrestlers out there who are like, look like Abdullah the Butcher in the forehead, um, but, you know, relatively speaking, um, you don't want to have, especially if you're a female, giant scars going down, you know, unless they really mean something, so the way they, uh, uh, you know, cut each other or cut themselves right along the hairline where, uh, you know, you can't really see it, but you can still, it'll still go. The problem with that is it better be big because it's got to flow everywhere. The blood, it's got to flow. If it's going to flow, it's got to flow. You can't have like a busted lip unless you're doing some, some screwy finish with like a first blood match where a guy uh, gets, gets his uh, lip busted and all of a sudden, oh, that's a little bit of blood, call the match. Like it's happened in WWE before, which I don't mind. It's context is everything. But I would like to have seen Thunder Rosa bleed a little more. Uh, one, because of the contrast of her um, 
um, Muerte-inspired uh, face paint on one side would have been really cool to see the blood on the other. And two, it didn't look like a whole lot. It looked like, you know, it, it dried up quickly, so it didn't look as bad as it could have or should have. Not like Dr. Britt Baker, who I know I have been destroying Britt Baker. Um, you know, I've been saying kind of mean things. I get it. Like, uh, to borrow a phrase from AJ Lee, uh, it's, it's, it's a shame that, uh, talent isn't sexually transmitted. I get it. Um, I know her boyfriend's work far outshadows hers and she has been sloppy at times and, and hokey at times and just a step off at times, but I don't know what it was. I don't know what in, clicked inside. I hope she continues this. Then she'll become the uh, wrestler that everybody's expecting her to be. Some clicked with uh, Britt Baker, and I don't know what it was. And it, whatever it is, please hold on to this for a while. Please keep this for a while. Um, the uh, spot with the uh, on the folding chairs was pretty badass. The uh, uh, the table break. I don't know if there was a, a a table. I don't remember if there was a table beforehand or not. Um, the the uh, Thunder Rosa throwing a chair was pretty vicious. Um, the, even the way that they did uh, Juice was really was was really cool. How they did it. Um, Thunder Rosa got hers after uh, Britt Baker smashed the uh, ladder into her face, and then. Uh, I believe uh, Britt got hers from uh, Thunder Rosa throwing that chair at her and uh, and it's smashing her against the steel stairs. I'm not 100% sure, but I'm pretty sure that's how it went. Um, and, and once she got cut, Britt, it started to look, okay, we okay, oh, we get it, oh my gosh, she believed. But at some point, I don't know what she did. Um, maybe the adrenaline was flowing or maybe she snuck in a, a couple more a couple more shots to herself but like there's that iconic picture and I wish I would have gotten it for you guys but there's that iconic picture at the end of the match where all of the uh, right side of uh, Brits Baker's face is just covered in blood and it looks awesome uh, you know again if you're gonna do a death match if you're gonna do a blood match do a blood match right uh, and I might say this may be AEW uh, trying to uh, appease its fans and trying to bring them back from the fiasco of the last two weeks of uh, revolution and the terrible pyro and whatnot. So half of it, they leaned into it and, uh, you know, put it on Kenny Omega and Kenny Omega being flippant about it. But I think the other part of it is they had to get the fans back by kind of making it legit. And if they're going to promise a death match, they're going to deliver a death match uh, or a hardcore or an underground or unsanctioned, whatever you want to call it. Uh, the match finish even made sense. Uh, you know, Britt got a lot of uh, heat on the end. She got a lot of uh, offense in. It looked like legitimately Thunder Rosa might lose. Uh, then uh, Rebel interfered, and she, you know, God bless her too. Uh, she's not as old as I am, but you know, we're we're in the same neighborhood. Um, you know, her wrestling career really hasn't taken off like how she expected it. It might. 
Um, but, uh, you know, God bless her. Uh, she took some shots to, to, to the head herself. Uh, she took some shots from the crutch. She took some, I think she took a chair shot. She took a bump on the outside. Um, interference. Uh, all building up Thunder Rosa, the big baby face, to come back and get her win. Um, the attacks uh, were brutal. Uh, Britt taking the tacks uh, with no padding whatsoever. Um, and then, uh, you know, going out on Thunder Rosa, putting uh, her finishing maneuver on the tacks. And then Baker reversing, putting uh, her in the, uh, the lock jaw on the tacks. And then uh, the finish outside through the table with the pin. And it was all, all put together well. Just a fine, fantastic job. Psycho psychologically, the match was great. The moves were great. All of the uh, spots were, were on. There wasn't anything botched. There was it was it was really good. Um, I'm not gonna go like Uncle Dave and say it was seven out of seven stars, and say this was the greatest match since Bull Nakano versus Aja Kong. Uh, I'm I am gonna say though, they definitely set the curve for the AEW women's division. All right, well, what else can I say? I would not, again, recommend that anyone use a deathmatch to put over your biggest star, especially biggest female star, but it worked, and congrats to Britt Baker, who continues to be AEW women's champion. Well, I told you I was gonna end on uh, some good news and some positivity. So let's just go right into it then, shall we? Yeah, let's. Um, from the women's AEW champion to the new and finally AEW World Heavyweight Champion, Hangman Adam Page. Out of the blue, Tony Schiavone gets on stage and announces that none other then Jay Lethal is now all elite. So good for him. Good for Jay. I am uh, really happy that he's there. Um, that he didn't take too much of a casualty from uh, Ring of Honor. I'm sure if Ring of Honor comes back in the spring and they do their final, um, you know, Super Card of Honor and in uh, in. Jay Lethal's there. I'm sure he'll be allowed to, to, to wrestle it. I mean, ROH right now is a prime uh, brand that hopefully Sinclair can turn around. And if not, one of the two, Tony or Vince, have to swoop in and get him. And uh, off rip, uh, he was challenged by uh, uh, the Latin god, uh Sammy Guevara, so uh, that might be fun to see. Now, kind of breaks my heart a little bit. I was hoping that Lethal may, in fact, have signed with WWE to become part of the Hurt Business. I think that would be a perfect spot for him, him and Gresham, to be part of the Hurt Business and to make the Hurt Business grow, to be kind of like uh, the modern version of the Four Horsemen. But, you know, again, uh, what do I know? Don't know anything. But congrats to Jay Lethal for getting a job. And then, of course, the uh, main event, and I've already said what it was, and, and I've already spoiled it, so, you know, no need to rehash it. Again, I didn't see it, so I just know that uh, 
the new AEW heavyweight champion is Adam Hangman Page. Yes, two years too late, but better late than never. So I'll mix some metaphors here. I will go to my dying day to say that AEW should have made Adam Page the champion two years ago when they started. They should have, uh, he should have been the biggest name, Babyface. The, the the company would have seen it would have been like a almost a reverse Stone Cold where uh, he would have started as a baby face and then just kind of uh, launched it from there. But you know, I guess Kenny Omega had to give himself a belt, and that's uh, the way that it went. Um, so congratulations to Hangman. I hope he has a long title reign. I hope that he continues to be like the baby face. Uh, I hope he kind of weans himself away from the alcoholic Adam Page, uh, so to speak. And I hope that that kind of morphs into somebody who is cool personality, like a laid-back, cool guy, inclusive guy, likes everybody, wears Paisley shirts, listens to country music, but also, you know, it's just cool with everybody. So congratulations to uh, the new AEW World Heavyweight Champion in Adam Hangman Page. So there I was bringing a little bit of ray of sunshine. That's it uh, for us to celebrate the end or possibly the end of 2021 with what actually went in the world of professional wrestling. So uh, thanks for joining me today. A quick programming note, as it were, like I said. So uh, next week we are going to have another best of show. And this one is going to be an omnibus of all of the crap that happened and basically wrapping it up with a bow as to why the WWE not only is no longer a destination for professional wrestlers, but it's also a uh, very terrible company in and of itself. So we're going into that. Then of course the heel and face awards live at, on the 17th, and then we will see on the 26th. So thank you for joining me for the best of show. It is me. It is me. The big old CBC, Steve Castle and Novo, uh, wishing you uh, have fun. Watch pro wrestling. Keep watching pro wrestling. It doesn't matter. Just like Taya Valkyrie tweeted out a couple of weeks ago. Watch pro wrestling. You're a fan of pro wrestling. You don't have to be a fan of a brand. You don't have to be a fan of a promotion. Watch more independent wrestling. I've been telling you all that for a while now. But of course, just, just have fun and just watch professional wrestling and be good. And I will see you next week for a recorded version of the Heal and Face podcast, the best of 2021 part due. Take care. And as always, peace.